And as I'm recording and as we're on there, I want to uh, make make an announcement. I made an error a couple, three or four services ago, and uh, actually a little more than that now, and I've wanted to correct it and forgot to, so I finally had notes all over to remind myself. But uh, when I was teaching out of Ephesians chapter 1, uh, I came down and I had that sentence run all the way from Ephesians 1, I think, uh, 4, all the way to the end, or wherever it was. Chapter 6 has a period at the end of it, and it uh, does not change this. <laughs> Several of you noticed, I say, it does not change the teaching at all. You read it, I mean, grammatically construct everything with it. You see that the we and the us and everybody that we were learning about are those who first trusted in Christ. But as I was going through, I had been asking, is this this or that? I mean, it's not your all's fault, but I have, you have to see Ephesians 1 in my Bible. It has so many markings on it where I have things written around it that uh, I looked and thought that that was a comma at the end. And so it was not, it was a period and not a comma. And uh, since I had emphatically and, and clearly said it was a period and, or a comma and it was not, I wanted to make sure that I acknowledged that and uh, let you know and so you know your bible's not messed up it's your preacher that needs help and so there we go and uh, you knew that already though so first corinthians chapter eight is what we have here and i wanted to do that and lord well i get enough notes up here to remind myself i want to do that again sunday evening and i don't like to err in something in the word of god and not come back and, and touch on that and that sort of thing it's because the bible is very very important that it be represented and and taught properly um dale and here of course corinthians bible truths for today we've been in a series on it but not the type of series where we've taken every service or every sunday night or every wednesday night it, there's been sometimes we've done sunday morning and sunday night on corinthians sometimes sunday night and wednesday night but i've been trying to be sensitive to where I believe the Lord's leading me as far as preaching in the church and that sort of thing. And yet knowing He's wanting us to work through systematically and learn these books. And so we're getting, uh, we're getting a, good, uh, a good diet of things from the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. And, and as I've been reading now the last several days in 2 Corinthians, because I'm working through the books and back through the books, uh, it's amazing what all is taught between 1 and 2 Corinthians. Uh, tonight, I'm going to read through 1 Corinthians 8, and uh, you'll follow along, and I'll make just a few uh, real, uh, relatively quick comments on things as I'm going through. And then we're going to be coming back, and verses 1 and 2 will be the main part of the meat of the message tonight. And uh, that message is entitled, The Responsibility of Knowledge. The Responsibility of Knowledge, and it's the theme of what this chapter is about, I believe. And so we'll look at this. Let's ask God to guide our minds. Let's do that. We've all had busy days. All of us do. My wife's car winged out on us, and we had a little adventure there with that. Uh, our stove gave out last week, almost caught on fire, and we replaced that this week. We've got So, you know, manning household, just like yours, all kinds of strange things happen. But when we come to the, to the house of God, let's decide to get something out of it. Never let the things that are going on distract you away from what God wants to do. Uh, in your life through the Word of God. And so uh, you, you have to understand and believe that part of the uh, spiritual battle and the spiritual strategy of our adversary is to take us away from being instructed and from the Word of God. And so when you come in, you may, you may just be tired from a day's work and you may have had crazy things go on there, but just come in and, 
and if I haven't reminded you too much now of what you need to forget, um, <laughs> uh, the, uh, try to just come in and say, Lord, what do you have for me tonight? And when you do that, you'll be amazed at some of the good things God wants to give you through His Word. Let me pray for you and with you tonight. Father, thank you for your words. Help me to teach this well. Lord, I want to be clear, and I want to give the sense of it and the understanding. And God, may you help me to do that, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look together at 1 Corinthians chapter 8. It says, now is touching things offered unto idols. So he set the the subject right there. We know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols. Now remember about Corinth. And they had idolatry. It was a huge thing. And they would sacrifice meat. They would sacrifice animals and, and, and bring in sacrifice offering to these various false gods. And then they would, they would partake of them in the eating of that meat or doing was an act of worship towards that false god. And these idols, they would bring them before with it. And so with that understood, look at verse 4 again. Now he's talking to these people who have gotten saved out of that mess and trying to teach them. He says, As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered and sacrificed unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world. And there's none other God but one. Someone has a Buddha. That's an image of a Buddha. That thing's nothing. It's made out of metal. It's just... A hunk of metal with either skinny if it's from Thailand or fat if it's from almost anywhere else. Because the Thai, the, I tell you how poor Thailand is, even their Buddhas are skinny. And that, but they really are. But, they, uh, but if, if it's made out of gold or something, then it's an expensive piece of metal. That's it. Someone's got a Mary in their yard, it's an idol. And it's nothing but a bunch of plaster. Someone's got. St. Joseph, St. Bartholomew, St. whatever. Man, I used to preach at the nursing home there in the Chicagoland area. They had a whole table dedicated to nothing but those little idols. They had all these little saints in there. I sat in the middle of it one day and was tossing. went up and down while I preached out Exodus 20. (laughs) Shall not make engraving images. I was known for tact in my young days. It doesn't mean anything. It's nothing. It's zero. It's nothing. And so you have to understand, it, that idol, that thing that's made, is nothing. I mean, we just were reading, uh, and I hope you all are taking advantage of the monthly reading. We're reading, and you know what we read a, a couple, three weeks ago, I forget exactly, a little while back. Remember when they took the Ark of God, the Philistines did, and they put it in Dagon, their, their, their false god, and they had this image for Dagon, and they come out in the morning and their god's on its face. It just The image it was had fallen down. And they took, it's funny, they took their God and set him back up. Now think about that for a minute. And then, of course, the next day they come out and, and Dagon's head and hands are cut off and they're on the threshold there. And they, in fact, they said nobody who worshiped Dagon would step on the threshold anymore because of that. You know, and I still, I'm still waiting for a chance. It's going to be a can't mean style message. I've had it for about 18 years. I want to preach a message out of that text called, Is Your God Stumped? <laughs> 
And but it just I can't get I can't get any liberty on that thing yet. It's a great title. Um, but the thing of it is, you know, Dagon, there he is, and this false god, and they have to put him back up. They're nothing. These amulets, these uh, good luck charms. My mom hated these uh, angel things. And when she got sick, people bought her all kinds of angels. And my mom did not like angels like my boys do not like clowns. <laughs> and uh, they don't. I don't care for them either. And uh, they, uh, but, but she said, those things are creepy. And they bothered her. And uh, they, they just, they did. And, and uh, one of our relatives got her this big, huge angel. And she's like, honey, don't let that thing stand over me. And, uh, <laughs> but they don't do anything. Somebody says, I'm wearing this. And it's a good luck charm. No, it's not. No such thing. Oh yeah, it's a rabbit's foot. How'd it go for the rabbit? No. <laughs> and so it says that there's, there's, they're idols. It says it's nothing in the world. There's no other God but one. Verse 5. For though there be that are called gods, notice it's a small g, and this is going to be important for understanding what's going to be taught. There are that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many, not God, but gods, small g, and lords many. But to us there is but one God, big G, God, the Father of whom are all things, He's a Creator, and we in Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, He's the Sustainer, and we by Him. If you want to mark a couple verses down and study in conjunction with that later, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and Colossians 1, 9 through 18. John 1, 1 through 3, and Colossians 9 through 18. Talk about God as the creator and the sustainer. Verse 7 Howbeit, there is not in every man that knowledge. Not everyone understands that an idol is nothing. And now, and not everybody who had just got saved in Corinth had this thing down. For it says, there, and every man that knowledge, for some with conscience of the idol, unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. In other words, they were saying, man, this, you know, I'm eating this. This was offered to Zeus. This was offered to Athena. This was offered to whoever. And they took knowledge of that. They had not grown past a point of understanding. Hey, you have people today, you have people dabbling in all sorts of witchcraft stuff in churches like ours. Everything from cards they're playing with to role playing games to all this nonsense. And so what happens is some of it's online, some of it's old fashioned type, all of it. And it comes under, it comes under the heading of, of uh, wrong and evil spirits. Look what the problem is. Look what happens. You say, well, if an idol's nothing, and then how can them messing with that, how could it mess them up? Because there's something behind that. The Bible teaches that what the Gentiles sacrifice unto idols, here's the, here's the Bible language, they sacrifice unto devils. Now, Say, ah, somebody put a hex on me, you know. Well, you know, <laughs> learn geometry and say hexagon, amen. Just get rid of it. Um, you'll, you'll be free. But I don't believe in all that stuff. I mean, somebody's going to put something on me. The Lord's got me, and that's fine. And uh, I've, I've seen as much spiritual weird as probably anybody in the room, trust me, and direct all kinds of wild confrontation. 
But, but you listen to me. The, the thing is that these people are messing with devils and don't realize it. It's not, oh, this thing's this piece of paper, this thing is, is a devil. No, but what it does, it represents devils. The devils are behind what's going on with it. That's why you see personality changes and people start messing with certain things. That's why you literally see personality changes because they're messing with unclean spirits, to use a Bible term. And so understanding that, look at what happens here. It's talking, I'm talking about the responsibility of knowledge. Look what happens here with this, all right? It says, it goes down, um, verse, uh, verse 7 again, let's do that again. Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge, for some with conscience of the idol, they're thinking about the idol, unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak, they're not strong in their faith, their doctrine and such, is defiled. But meat, now I tell you why it's mentioning meat, because it's what's being offered up there. And it's a big issue of what was going on there. But meat commendeth us, in other words, we use the word recommended, commendeth, it shows us in a favorable light. But meat commendeth us not to God. For neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we, are we the worse. Then look at verse 9. Take heed, you believers, pay attention, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. You say, okay, preacher, that's good teaching. It's Bible, but how does that apply to anything? I mean, we don't have people sacrificing things to idols and stuff so much in our culture yet. We do have it, uh, but it's not an, you know, an everyday sort of a thing. But if you look at this and if you understand what this thing ties into as far as uh, how people go about things that are not uh, compatible with the Lord, things that are against the Lord, and get involved with them, and the responsibility we have if we know the Scripture to behave ourselves in a way that won't lead people into it, then you understand what it's talking about. And in verse 9, look at it again. It says, Take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. They could go into a place that sacrificed meat. They could go into a place that had this. As a believer, they maybe they had the best hamburger in town. They could eat that and leave there, and it would not make them less a child of God. It would not condemn them, but they could destroy other people by doing that. Because of what it does with their testimony. Listen to me. I'll tell you something very serious with this. There are conversations I get out of and avoid when I know there are people within the hearing of that conversation whose faith is at a point or their Bible understanding is at a point that listening to two older Christians not being in an argument with each other but talking about disputations of doctrine, pointing out things of controversy, can cause them to stumble because they don't grasp it. There are times I will... I'm very selective in what I preach about and I'll name certain things, but there are I warn about certain teachings and sometimes I'm careful about who I warn against. Every now and then I need to do it as a pastor and warn against somebody as a teacher by name or whatever that's out there. But I'm careful to do that because here's what happens, Brother Bright. I mention name. People go Google them and start, start listening to them. And what happens is people get in get destroyed. I, I would be very careful. I have, I have two libraries. I have a library here and a library at the house. I have a lot of books. But if I were thinning out my library, I would be careful what I put out for the church. You say, why? 
Because if it came from the pastor, there are people who are going to look at it and say, oh, it must be all right. It may not all be all right. Now, there are things that I get rid of just because I don't want them influencing me. But there are some things that maybe Christians just should not get a hold of. Doctrine wise and stuff. And so, it's very important to understand that we have a responsibility not to at any time knowingly damage those who are around us. That's what this is teaching about. And so look what happens uh, again, uh, verse 10, it, it, leading after that says, For if any man see thee which has knowledge, this is a person who understands these things, set at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols. But the whole time he's thinking about the idol. And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. Not talking about him losing his salvation. I'm talking about he's no longer effective. He perishes, it'll kill him. It'll take him out of action. I'll show you why I believe it teaches that in the text. Look what's said next. But when you sin so against the brethren, that's a strong statement, isn't it? And wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Why? Because they're part of His body. Wherefore, now I'll show you why it's talking about causing that person not to, their, their, their faith and their walk with the Lord to be damaged. Look what it says. Wherefore, if me make my brother to what? I've taught you what it means to offend. He goes off end. He, 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 he it messes up his walk. He ends up being messed up over it. He gets into whatever. If it cause my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. He said, I'd rather just completely stay away from that than cause somebody to get into something that's going to tear down their faith and destroy their faith. And so a lot to be learned from that, isn't there, with that. Now, with that said, look back in verses 1 and verse 2 with that. <laughs> Talking about the responsibility of knowledge. I ask a question which I know mainly I know the answer to, but I want, I want us all to see this and look at it. And please participate. One important thing for you to keep learning to do even more fully is participate when you're in a service. And uh, participate with this. How many of you tonight, you're not ashamed at all, you say, I know Christ is my Savior, I believe on Him as such. Okay, let's look around for a moment, alright? Alright, put your hands down. Now, all of us have some level of knowledge of the Word of God then. Because we got saved. All of us are in some, some part of growing to be like Christ. All of us are. Now, we would never measure who's more spiritual and all that. That's nonsense. And we're forbidden to do that in Scripture. And that's foolish. But we understand there are a lot of people who have walked with the Lord different amounts of time. I've been, say, 42 years. So I've walked 42 years. How many in the room have been saved longer than 42 years? Let me see your hand if that's the case, okay? Have some there? All right. How many of you have been saved between, let's say, 20 and 40 years? Let me see you've known the Lord that long. Okay, so you're my middle-aged believers. How many of you have been between 10 and 20 years you've known the Lord as your Savior? All right, a bunch of you. How many of you less than 10 years? Less than 10 years you've known the Lord, okay? I'm glad to see the eight, nine-year-olds raise their hands on that because that's a good thing. Yeah, good. Yeah, awesome. Alright, so there you are. Now, wait a minute, look. Just, now it could be at 42 years, I could be less spiritually mature than somebody that's five years old anymore. If I had goggling around, not growing and all that stuff, and they actually followed the Lord and grew. So you understand that? 
chronological the time that's passed how long we've been saved does not indicate how mature we are in Christ and by the way we can go back and regress to a baby state so but it is impossible for those who've been saved less than 10 years to have 20 years experience around the word of God as a saved person and so what happens is uh, we have a responsibility with the knowledge that we have uh, I, I, I could give you a lot of illustration here, but let me get into this. I'll uh, give you just a couple of thoughts with this, literally. First, if we're going to be responsible with knowledge, and it's important that we are, we must consider the potential power for harm in knowledge. There's a potential for harm. Much of that potential can be comprehended by understanding the term puffeth up. Look in verse 1 again. Can you read that out loud together with me? Would you please? Let's begin to read it. Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. Uh, this thing of puffing up causes a lot of trouble. It is contrasted here with edifying. Edifying is to build a solid or a substantial structure. Another name for this building in which you sat tonight would be an edifice. It has been built up. It is a functional, structural, strong, sound building. The idea of puffed up, the main meaning of it is it's inflated. It just exactly what it sounds like with it. There's an interesting illustration of this. Have any of you traveled uh, Route 56 over towards London, Ohio? You go up 56 in a circle there, okay? Done that. There is the weirdest building on the right-hand side. It used to be a church. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> it's just weird. The building is mostly a facade. Anybody know what a facade is? It's, it's not a sports car. A facade is a fake front. And it's saying, I don't know what it is now. It's a business of some type now. It used to be a church. Y'all know where I'm talking about? It has this big, grand-looking front to it. If you were looking directly at it, if you pulled in the drive and looked directly at it, you would see this big, nice, fancy building. It isn't a building. It's a front. And there's a wee little building behind that there. And when you're driving on 56, if you're going northbound, if basically northbound on 56, you're heading up towards 71, going up that direction, 70, up towards 70. When you're heading up that way, as you're coming on the road, the way the road angles, you can see behind the facade, which makes it all the more ridiculous. In some church, <laughs> this had to be committee built, or there wasn't somebody with enough leadership to look at the congregation, whoever was suggesting this, and say, y'all are nuts. Or worse yet, maybe it came from the leadership. That'd be even worse. But whatever, it's, the church isn't in there anymore. But whoever built this church built this big fancy front. So when you pull up, hot dog, look at this big church. But you went in, this place is just a little bitty old place behind it. That, that's, that's ridiculous. But that's exactly that picture. If you can get that kind of crazy picture in your mind, that's what it means to puffeth up. To, to give an appearance of something that isn't actually anything substantial at all. So it's dangerous. Knowledge puffeth up. 
I've been around all sorts of levels of education. Um, I've met smart, educated people, and I've met dumb, educated people, and I've met a few stupid, educated people. Um, I, I've met smart, supposedly uneducated people, and dumb, supposedly uneducated people, and others also. But it is, what it is, the thing, knowledge will puff up. It'll just blow you up with no substance behind it. By the way, it'll do that to a church. It'll do that uh, to, uh, uh, to any of us in, in our living if we're not careful with that. Remember the carnality of the Corinthians? 1 Corinthians 4, 6. We've studied through there. Their carnality was summarized in this statement. They were puffed up for one and against another. What was it? One said, I'm of Apollos. I got saved under Apollos' ministry. And I'll not rehash the history of the Corinthian church. I've done that more than once. But during that time when Apollos was there, and he was an eloquent man, mighty in Scripture, and he greatly convinced those he heard, he was a good Bible preacher. He was a good Bible preacher. And some of the people said, ah, I got saved and trained under Apollos. You know how good he is. And they were puffed up. Yeah, I'm following Apollos. You know, so the rest of y'all are kind of substandard believers. I learned from Apollos. Everybody knows how good Apollos was, which means nothing, you know. That's like the person, you know, they're so out of shape they can't walk across the room, you know. Yeah, we won. But the Ohio State lady, you couldn't even walk out on the field. Um, and that's about the same way they were, but they were puffed up because of their association. They knew Dr. Apollos. Yeah. Then the other one said, No, I'm a Paul. Paul's the one who established this church. When he came here, there was nothing. Everybody knows about Paul and what God's done with him. And the whole thing made God very sad and very sick that His people were puffed up. And because of that, that they had nothing substantial in their real day-by-day Christianity. And so knowledge is dangerous. It'll puff you up. It's interesting. I always have fun when someone's in their sophomore year in education because I like, if they don't know, I like talking about what sophomore means. Sophos moranos is what the word is. It means a wise fool. It's exactly what sophomore means. It means that you've got just enough knowledge to be dangerous. My wife's car started acting up today. Thank God we were both in Canal Winchester at the time and had a little adventure with it. And we've kind of concluded from it, and asked the mechanic that we deal with and such, that the alternator's going out. Seems to be. Battery light comes on and she goes on 20. Now it's on all the time. It's eating the battery. And all that sort of stuff. And so I thought, great. So I knew, you know, it's not cheap. Nobody, nobody in town has alternators for 20 bucks. So I called, and I called Napa. He said, why didn't you call AutoZone? Because I don't like returning electrical parts to every day. So I called... I called Napa and see about, uh, uh, they say, they have a lifetime guarantee. Yeah, you're going to spend your lifetime replacing that part, probably. But I, I called Napa and I said, uh, I said uh, you know, what does this cost? And they told me, I said, oh, all right. Then I YouTubed it. I teach you something about knowledge here. And how a little bit of knowledge, as the saying goes, is a dangerous thing. <laughs> Drink deeply or taste not of that artesian spring is the beginning. But here, here's the thing with it. I looked it up. You can YouTube anything. 
And this was the clearest video, and it was just very precise on how to ex how to change the alternator on that Rav4. Three minutes of that video is all I needed. That's how good the video was. It was honest guess. It was three minutes is all I needed. At that point, I shut it off and called the mechanic. I'm like, no, I know how expensive that's going to get if I do it. When they brought out the jack to hold up the engine to remove the engine mount to get to what they had to, I'm like, I'm out. No, I had flashbacks to the last thing I did for myself mechanically. And the fact of how many hours it took and how bad I messed it up and how much I had to pay to fix not only what was wrong, but what I had caused to be worse. And I'm like, oh, it, it's sort of like that. The, the dear sweet uh, black lady that used to work at the industrial compliance where we used to have to go and take our plans for the buildings. We had to go up to Tussing Road and take them there and all that stuff. Now we go through the city. It actually works well through the city. But we, uh, I had to go up there and this lady, I'd been up there about twice and I'm, you know, when work I come up, was having to meet with the guy and she looked at me and she said in her own way, it was great, she was a neat lady. She goes, are you the reverend down there? That's the way she talked. And I don't go by reverend, but I said, you know, I knew her, I knew what she was saying. I said, yes. She goes, put down the hammer and pick up the Bible. You ain't supposed to be building building. You're supposed to be feeding the flock. Man, she just, this sister just preached me a sermon. I could hear her voice. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do what you're thinking about right now. It's going to go badly. And if you're good at it, really, honestly, awesome. I'm glad you are, but a man has to know his limitations, and I shouldn't mess with that stuff. And so I'm going to see if my wife can check, check out the YouTube and do something with it. But, but anyway, no, actually, you know, we got an appointment to get taken care of. But, but here's the thing with that. Uh, I'll have knowledge, but knowledge can puff you up. You can, you can, it can destroy you if you don't have enough of it. I won't go into the detail. I did ask him permission because I think it'll work for a good illustration later. I had uh, a friend of many, many years back and has uh, we've uh, made connection again. He sent me a text uh, day before yesterday, I think, or maybe yesterday, and said, uh, and said, hey, I saw the end of your, one of your messages and your illustration about Calvinism, and I didn't know this about him. He said, I was... He said, I was in that for 23 years. He said, I've been a few years out of that heresy now. And uh, we've had a great correspondence about how he got into it, how he got out of it, and what, you know, shook him up about it. And, uh, and, and so it was a good thing with it. And he was talking about how he got, he, he basically got some information and was given a system. And he bought into the system of thinking. And yet, what really basically set him free, he got into the scripture and found out what I was talking about. Knowledge will puff you up. And it was an interesting statement he made because I get this out of the blue and you know, Brother Carroll had preached on it and I came and did the doctoral thing. I, and and, and he, he says to me, he says, he says, the arrogance of the people that teach that is palpable. He said, there's an arrogance in that doctrine. It's, we know more than you do. We know, we've got it. I wish you knew this, you had enlightenment. Let me tell you something. Even if you're right about a doctrine, if what it's producing in you is an arrogance towards people, then something's going very wrong in that mix. Knowledge puffeth up and it's dangerous because it becomes prideful. And by the way, when you're puffed up, you don't learn much. Because you know. You know, it's kind of like people, you deal with them. I know, I know, I got it. They don't know and they ain't got it. I'll just tell you, that's how it works, all right? And so what happens is, then Corinthians, they were puffed up for one against another. 
And also they were puffed up in their pride in tolerating egregious sins, very vile sins uh, that even the Gentiles were not getting into. And instead of being brokenhearted and mourning over the fact this had happened, they were priding themselves on the fact that they were tolerant of wickedness. That's covered in 1 Corinthians 5 too if you want to read about it. He dealt with that exactly. That's what being puffed up does. See, being puffed up causes someone to say, oh, I can handle it. I know so much. I'm so spiritual. I'm so strong. I'm not... No! May God help us have sense enough to know. In our correspondence, I sent how important the verse is to me out of Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 11.3 But I fear... You hear me quote it. But I fear lest by any means... Now this is a benchmark verse for me. You've heard me say it. I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through subtlety so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And when we start getting puffed up, we get away from that. By the way, by way of contrast, talking about the danger of being puffed up, talking about how important the responsibility of knowledge is, by way of contrast, it's clearly stated in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, that charity is not puffed up. It's interesting. Charity is not puffed up. And when it goes through Corinthians, it says charity vaunteth not itself is not puffed up. The root word for vaunteth not itself is one word, and it's the exact same word that is, that is puffed, uh, puffed up everywhere in the Scripture. And it's it, fusimo, fusime. It, it, it's, it's the idea of blowing it up. Is not is not. It double emphasizes it. And the Bible shows you that. It vaunted not itself. It's not puffed up. That's what charity is. By the way, the Scripture does say, doesn't it? Let all thy things be done with charity. Is that right? And so what happens is we can see the danger of it and, and understand clearly. Secondly, in order to be responsible with knowledge, we must consider that knowledge is such a powerful and needful thing. Did you catch that? Powerful and needful? that God has given some specific safeguards so it will not become destructive, but instead, knowledge will remain the blessing that God wants it to be. You know, I see somebody who has a physical handicap and they have some device, whether it be an electronic type device or a mechanical device, that helps them operate by day by day in their daily life in ways that just not that many years ago they would have never had a chance to do it a mobility about them, a quality of life that's better. I see that. I thank God that men and ladies have knowledge to do some things. And we can see that as an obvious good outworking of knowledge. God wants knowledge to be a blessing and He wants knowledge to be something that is beneficial, not destructive. The problem is that it's very powerful. And that's only a portion of the problem. The rest of that equation that's a problem is we are very corrupted and corruptible. So when you put together the capacity of knowledge and man's fallen nature, you can have a disaster on your hands and God doesn't want that. Um, knowledge needs to be rooted in the fear of the Lord. It needs to be rooted in the fear of the Lord. Don't lose your place in Corinthians, but look in Proverbs chapter 1. And then I'm going to read a few verses to you. You won't be able to move fast enough to keep up with them or all you'll be doing is flipping pages and not paying attention. But look in Proverbs chapter 1. 
when something we speak of something being rooted, we're talking about what it's grounded in, what its basis is. Knowledge has to be rooted in the fear of the Lord. I had this thought, and actually I set things up where I can speak things to myself and then I have them on my, my text area so I find them later. But uh, academia, some of you know what that term is. Academia, way too often, is nothing but a political philosophy hidden or couched in an educational system. That's all it is. Doesn't have anything to do with truth. It has to do with the political agenda. And if you're on the outs on whatever that political agenda is, you thought the inquisitors were bad. <laughs> they'll ruin you. They'll try to they'll they'll professionally ruin you for not walking in lockstep with whatever the political philosophy is that's being being uh, uh, being propagated at that time. And uh, Proverbs chapter one. Look in this thing. It has to be rooted in the fear of the Lord. Look in verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's the beginning, the starting point. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. They do. It's got to be in the fear of the Lord. You say, okay, preacher, that's good information biblically, but what is the fear of the Lord? Well, I think the best way to explain it to you is by reading to you some Bible verses that deal with the fear of the Lord. And you'll see if you pay attention. You ask God for understanding as I read these. Uh, you participate right now. Ask God to open your heart towards His Word. And as you do that, you'll under, start understanding the Word, what it means with it. Let me give you several here. Don't try to follow me along now. If you want a copy of the list I have, I can give that to you later. But in Psalm 19, it says, The fear of the Lord is clean. So we know that about it. Enduring forever. We know that about it. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Psalm 111 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do His commandments. His praise endureth forever. All these rests are from Proverbs except the last one. Proverbs 129, given as reasons why God would not respond to some who call on Him. In other words, it's talking about some people that when they call on God, God says, I will not hear you. Now you think about how strong that is. He says, when you call on me, I will not hear you. He's, he said, it won't happen. Here's, here the, here's who that was said about. He said that he would not hear them for that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. That's strong. Proverbs 8, verse 13 says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy, and the evil way, and the froward mouth, which is the perverse speaking, do I hate. That's God talking. Proverbs 9, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Proverbs 10, verse 27 says, The fear of the Lord prolongeth days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. Say, no, I knew somebody's wicked and lived a long time. Do you know how long they were supposed to live? And do you actually know what it means for days to be shortened? In other words, they're consumed in vanity. Proverbs 14, verse 26. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. You like that? Not boasting, not arrogance. He hates arrogance. He's strong confidence. Strong confidence. One of you young men, 
uh, shook Mr. Allen's hand, looked him in the eye and shook his hand when he was here on Sunday and you made his day. He mentioned it to me today. He liked you doing that. That's strong confidence. And his children shall have a place of refuge. Proverbs 14, verse 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. I like that idea of a fountain of life. Proverbs 15, verse 26, says, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. Proverbs 15, 33 says, the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. And before honor is humility. Proverbs 16, 6 says, by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Proverbs 19.23 states it this way, The fear of the Lord tendeth to life, and he that hath it shall abide satisfied. He shall not be visited with evil. Proverbs 22.4 says, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. And then the New Testament reference in Acts 9 verse 31, it says, Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. So that's what God did with that. Think you can get a general picture of what the fear of the Lord is from all that? It has to do with hating evil. It has to do with loving God. It has to do with humility and all those things. 1 Peter chapter 5 is something I want you to look at. I'm almost finished here. Not theoretically, but in reality. Although there is some debate on the origins and interpretation of the word almost. 1 Peter chapter 1. Let me show you how powerful knowledge is. I'm always encouraging you to be a learning people and a growing people. Not be satisfied not to learn and not to grow, but we, we need to do it biblically and understand some things with it. 1 Peter chapter 1. And look, I think it's 2 Peter actually. It does not sound right to me. Uh, yep. It should be. Second Peter 1. 5. 1 verse 5. It should be. Yep, that's it. Second Peter 1. Look in verse 5. Sorry about that. And beside this, giving all diligence. What's that next word after diligence? Add. Add to your faith What? which has to do with moral excellence, which has to do with the power of a clean life. All those things are tied into virtue. Add to your faith virtue. And you can see in Proverbs 31, description of the virtuous woman, what it looks like when somebody lives it. Having all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue what? Okay, now notice it said add. This is important. So you have virtue, and then you add to that knowledge and then what follows knowledge? What's the next thing in verse 6? And to knowledge what? Temperance. And I'm not going to go through the whole list there, but when you look through what says, it says, if these things be in you and abound, then make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. He that lacketh these things is blind. He cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. And so this is a powerful passage. Now, what is this thing? Knowledge, and I said to you, knowledge is so powerful. It is so powerful 
that God gave us some safeguards to keep us from damaging ourselves with it or damaging others. That's what we were learning about in 1 Corinthians 8, wasn't it? Someone who has knowledge causing a weaker brother to stumble because of their knowledge. We can do that. What happens is virtue, notice where it's sandwiched. Knowledge in that list of adding is placed directly between virtue and temperance. It's not accidental. Virtue keeps the powerful thing from not, called knowledge from taking on an evil character. I've given you this illustration. Man, through knowledge, learned how to split an atom. What was the first practical usage he used that knowledge for? Bombs. Vaporized in one city. And vaporized a bunch and then later killed because of the radiation over 140,000 people in the one city with the one bomb. The first usage of that power was for destruction. So virtue keeps us from the using knowledge in an evil way. Oppenheimer made the statement as one of the four main men who, uh, uh, who um, actually developed the atomic bomb along with Niels Bohr and Cohen and um, who was the other one? He was pulled out of, the, out of Denmark with the heavy water thing. Well, that was Niels Bohr, Oppenheimer, Cohen. Who's the fourth man? I lost somebody in there. Cohen I talked to on the phone once. That was wild. He was in his 80s. Oppenheimer, Niels Bohr, I miss it. Oh, Fermi, Enrique Fermi. Uh, sorry about that. I had a glitch there. Uh, but the, uh, those four men, and it was Oppenheimer made the statement. More than one of them did, but he made the statement. He says, he's made a statement along the way. He says, we're asking, General Graves oversaw uh, what was going on. He said, we're asking so much can it be done. Nobody's asking, should it be done? And that was one of the great things. Einstein struggled with that. Different ones that were going off of his theory. And part of what some of them who saw what the potential was, they said, we're not asking the question, which is, should this be done? Should this knowledge? That was what they're afraid of because you can't go back from that knowledge. Should this kind of knowledge be put in the hands of humanity? Well, immediately we see, we see the, 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 what happened with it. And so what happens is virtue keeps the power of knowledge from becoming, uh, taking on evil character. And knowledge, once acquired, needs to be directed and controlled by temperance. Now, look back in your uh, 1 Corinthians 8. Now, I'm going to shut this down here. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 2. You know, been very good. You're, you're, you're turning the pages. You're paying attention. I like that. It's helpful to you. 1 Corinthians 8, look in verse 2. Here's the vital thing for the uh, responsibility of knowledge. If any man think that he knoweth anything. Now, is that a general statement or what? If any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. So, okay, preacher, what's that about? I put a footnote down there. This is revealed in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 13, 12 as a root for charity to grow in. You know how the Bible talks about a root of bitterness that can grow up? Do you know that there's a root and there's a soil, if you will? There's a, there's a condition in which charity flourishes? 
with which faith flourishes. The Bible talks about these things. Do you know one of the key elements or components that allows charity to grow for us to actually love other people with the love that God's expressed towards us? One of the things is it has to do with this thing of knowing that we don't know. It says it this way in, in, 1, Corinthians, or in 1 Corinthians 13. Here's the first statement. Now we see through a glass. Anybody know the next word? Darkly. What's that mean? Seeing through a glass is like looking through a window. Seeing through a glass darkly is you can't see what it is. I use as an example something here that we all know about in my, my office door. We took that six-panel door and put the glass in, in part of it. Six-panel doors, by the way, were designed to show the cross. That's what that wood does. That was And the bottom supposed to show the Word of God. The man who designed those, that was intentional for that, that pattern to be in those doors. As you see, those are six-panel doors there. The bottom two panels, supposed to be above that top cross, is a cross. That's the design of that. There's, there's stuff, history in that. But when you, that glass in my, in my window is translucent glass, not transparent glass. So when you can see through it, but you can't see through it distinctly, it is purposely designed so someone can be meeting with me in the office and it, somebody can see that this person's on this side of the desk, pastor's on this side of the desk, they know somebody's in there, but it's not so much that you feel like you're in a goldfish bowl being examined while I'm trying to talk to you. And I've told you over and over again, it's hilarious. I'll be talking to somebody about something serious and all of a sudden I'll see someone do this. Is he in there? And I can hear you. Is he in there? I know he's in there. Looks like somebody's in there. And it's funny and I keep my composure and keep my focus going there. But what's really funny is when these little eyeballs all come up to look in Seeing through a glass darkly is you see that you see that something's there, but you don't see every detail about it. I bring you back again to one of my favorite statements of many, many statements I have that Brother Hill left in my heart and in my soul. He used to say, he was very serious, and there was a lot of teaching in the statement. He used to say, I don't I don't understand everything I know about that. The further I go, the more precious that statement is, because there's a lot of things I don't understand everything I know about that. And so that, that's important. That keeps us right about knowledge. When someone thinks they're the all-fired expert and they're the end of the argument and they, boy, they just know and that's the way they talk to you. It's just this way and no other way. They're on very dangerous ground. And their foolishness is apparent to everybody else if it's not to them. We used to call it being fat-headed. It's a good term. Um, but we need to know we, we know in part. That's the other part. It said about, uh, about charity, it says, for we see through a glass part uh, darkly, and then it says, for I know in part, one of the, it's vital to be responsible with knowledge to remember that we know in part. We know in part. Uh, within the last few messages, I read a part of a passage. I read when I was teaching out 1 Corinthians 7 where it talks about the, the unbelieving, sanctified by the believing and all that. And when I read those passages to you, I did exactly what I had to do in honesty. This is the Word of God. It means what it says. I cannot expound it to you. Because I'm not going to take off on some theoretical tangent. I'm not going to try to wow you with some philosophical approach and, 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 and you know, uh, just you know, kind of pull the wool over your eyes so that it seems like I know what I'm doing. Look, that's, that's God's book. There's entire sections I can't expound to you. They're preacher, you've been preaching 41 years. 
you, you study at a decent level and you there's parts you don't there's parts I can't brother Robin I don't know and it's always amazing to me I don't get upset by it I really don't but I, I, I've come to expect it somebody asks me a question and when they're asking it if I know I don't know it it's kind of funny because I know the expression I'm going to get they don't get mad at me it's like really? It, it, there's this sad look like I came to the preacher he didn't know that one I know Sometimes I'll tell them, I think part of that's over here and I'll send them go study in this area and see if maybe you figured out, come back and talk to me about it because I haven't got that one yet. Say, doesn't that bother you? Only in the sense I want to know more about the Lord. Hey, look it. I know way more than enough to lead somebody to Christ. I could take anybody, I promise you, from, from a grade school kid to a college professor in a seminary can walk in our church and be fed they can learn. They can grow. If they'll keep their heart right, they'll learn some things. You know why? Because that's God's Word. And there's so much about it that's just right there. And there's so much about it that I've been allowed to know. I'm not going to beat my brains out over what I don't know. And it's going to keep me humble. I'm not going to try to explain everything away. I'm not going to act like I have to have everything all together. I don't have to have everything all together. All I've got to do is follow God. And I couple that with diligent study. But all I've got to do is follow God. All I've got to do is take Him at His Word. He saved me by His mercy. He saved me by His grace. He loves me with an unending love. He keeps me with His power. What else do I need to know? Because everything else is based on that. And God Himself has revealed certain things and certain things He hasn't. And my, 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 my learning capacity has its limitations. And uh, where I'm coming from to understand something has its limitations. And part of the responsibility of knowledge is realizing we don't know everything. You know, there's a lot more to this statement than what appears on the surface when it was said, let God be true and every man a liar. And, uh, well, I tell you, knowledge... God, it's wonderful. You, you saw, I read so many verses. It's a good thing. God wants us to have the knowledge of the holy. God wants His people. His people, in fact, He warns, are destroyed by a lack of knowledge when we don't know the things about God. You fall for every kind of nonsense comes down the road. Every kind of wicked and depraved living. But that knowledge has to be between virtue and temperance. Virtue has to be its base. Let's use our knowledge to help, not hurt. Let's use our knowledge to help, not exalt ourselves. Then temperance. Let's, let's keep it on the rails through that and doing things the right way. Let me pray with you this evening. All right, Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for helping us. Lord, I pray You will help us. And Lord, may we grow. And may we grow as, and be as dear children growing and uh, not as spoiled brats, but doing what we ought to do and living like we ought to live. Father, help us to love You. Help us to have a hunger for the knowledge of the holy. Help us to thirst after righteousness and Lord, to hunger after it and help us, Lord, to, to follow you and use knowledge aright so that we may bless and be a blessing to others, I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. I tell you, it would be a real good thing to do tonight is just present your mind, your heart, your ability to learn, present to God. Yield it to Him. And you might be amazed what God might help you do. Why don't you come as we have a song invitation?